Andrew Shamley, husband of 33 years, John McNamara, was killed in a mass shooting at the Annapolis Capitol on June 28, 2018. She finished John's fourth book, His Life Work, a 300-page love letter called A Capital of Basketball on 100 Years of D.C. High School Hoops. Andrew's day job is a government lawyer with the Food and Drug Administration. Andrew's a survivor, fellow with Everytown Survivor Network for gun safety, and a volunteer with Mom Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. In her advocacy, she has pushed Maryland lawmakers to close the gap by requiring background checks for all rifles and shotguns. John McNamara loved covering sports. He was a master of statistics and ranking. In Capital of Basketball, John discusses the trends and evolution of the game. John built beautiful relationship with coaches, teachers, and the players. McNamara also uncovered the turmoil in the lives of the players and area residents as they dealt with prejudices, educational inequities, politics, and the ways the areas have changed over the years. Today, June 28, 2020, marks two years since five Capitol Gazette employees were killed when a gunman opened fire at the Annapolis office. A memorial to honor John and the four pillars will be named the Guardians of Free Speech. It is set to be unveiled in Newman's Park in June 2021. Since John's death, Andrea has become a gun violence prevention advocate, sharing her story with an array of audiences. She's been featured on CBS Evening News, Montgomery Talks Podcast, Gathersburg Book Festival, WUSA 9, Ignite Annapolis, Great Day Washington, WTOP News, St. John Norwood Forum, USA Today Sports, Washington Post, and now it's the Miami Night Show Grief Talk. Let's welcome her. Hello, Andrea. How are you? Hi. I just finished moving my house today, so I'm happy to sit down and exhale a little bit. All right. I'm so glad to have you here, and thank you once again for coming on the show. So tell us your journey of being a mass shooter survivor, and how did this occur? Well, um, it felt pretty unremarkable that morning, um, almost two years ago, June 28th, 2018. Um, my husband was pulled off sports at the newspaper to help cover the primary election in Maryland. And uh, he was really tired because the election went on till two and three in the morning and he stayed and was helping other people. And he got up by seven and was getting ready to go back in. And I asked him if he could work from home. And, and he said, no, my coworkers need me. And he went to work and I went to work. And um, it was a beautiful sunny day. I was, I was outside um, at my workplace cafeteria. They have a patio and I was um, working out there on the wireless and people started emailing me, asking me about Annapolis and what was happening in Annapolis and was 
Finally, I got one that said, is John okay? And I said, all right, I have to Google this and find out what's happening. And, and my heart just stopped. I saw that there was a mass shooting at the Annapolis Capitol and they didn't know who got out and who didn't. And so I ended up waiting about 10 hours for the police to knock on my door and tell me that my husband didn't make it out along with four of his coworkers, Rob, Wendy, Gerald, and um, Rebecca. I'm so sorry um, that that has happened to you and your husband. I know that turned your world upside down. Um, just receiving that news and first of all the anticipation um, of, of finding out if it was all true and thank you so much for leading us um, into what happened because um, having that visual of, of what you were experiencing is important for people to know you know that journey of you know what happened you know for a lot of us it's just an ordinary day that comes back and turns our life upside down absolutely can you please share um, the life of your dear husband, John, and his published works? Who was he? Um, he was a sports writer since high school. He played basketball. He loved the game. Um, he covered it. And the D.C. area is just so rich with a basketball history. Um, and he so since 1978, he was the high school sports editor of the newspaper. He went to Maryland and he covered the Terrapins. He got to go to the national championship with the team. He got to go to the World Series with the Baltimore Orioles. Um, he was so happy when the Washington Nationals came to town. And the thing about John and sports is um, a, a lot of times if you read a sports article and you don't know about the sport yet, you can't figure out what's happening from the article. The article is written by sports lovers, for sports lovers, and it's, it's, it keeps out new fans and women and kids who are trying to figure out the game. And John never did that. John could tell you stuff you didn't see if you were a big fan. And, and people always said that they never thought of some things he thought of. And then people who never understood the game before and were frustrated told me that when he explained the game to them, they understood it and they saw why people loved it. So, um, so he was, he was a sports writer, and with all the um, layoffs and buyouts happening in journalism, he told me he really wanted to be remembered as a sports writer, but he didn't think that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. He was going to be laid off like so many other people, and um, and just fade away. And so when he died, I decided I wanted him to be remembered as a sports writer. And, and he had written a book on Maryland football, um, the history of that for a hundred years. He wrote about the national championship and a book with a bunch of other writers together, got, got the book out within a few weeks after the championship win in 2002. Um, and he wrote a book called Cold Classics about the great games at Cold Field House and not just basketball games. There were concerts, there were women's games that people didn't see. There was the first desegregated team against a a team that was still segregated and the desegregated team kicked their butt and, and made people think twice about the awful segregation that was happening in sports. And, um, uh, and then he had this one, this one he was working on for 13 years, 
interviewing people and finding pictures and going to the library and looking at microfiche. People don't even know what microfiche is anymore, mm -hmm. I think. And I, when I saw how far along he got on this book, I knew we had to finish it. Wow. That's, that's such an honor to um, have completed the works that he had started and, and put so much into. And um, you just having the ability and the strength to, you know, read over it, you know, just to look at his work. That's hard. That really is hard, you know, just to look at it. Um, explain those feelings when you start diving into it. It was awfully hard. Um, but the more I proofread it and the more I got over the typos and things, um, you know, not too many, but um, but he would have the names of the schools without the names of the mascot, you know, and so I'd be putting those together. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm like, and maybe it was the 15th time I was proofreading it for the publisher that I got, mm -hmm. I really got a chance to to relish the stories. I mean, this this area started the game of basketball. Um, uh, some people went from DC to Massachusetts to Dr. Naismith to Springfield where people say basketball started, but that, that was a nine man passing only game. They had to stop the game every time someone got a basket and get the basket out of the peach basket because they didn't think to cut out the bottom. Mm -hmm. So, um, the, the two men that brought, brought it from here started a legacy of coaching and, um, and mentoring, uh, not just in sport, but in civics and government and community involvement. Um, the one man who did most of it, who turned it into a five-man running game, uh, started the NAACP because the kids really wanted to play each other. They didn't want to put up with these adults that said, you, there was playground games you have after school. You'll, you'll never play those guys in a tournament game. They wouldn't put up with it. So he, he got the, the game desegregated and it was probably the first sport to be desegregated because the kids didn't need any access to any special golf course or tennis court or football field. They could play wherever they wanted mm -hmm. and they did. Um, and these men grew up to be coaches. Morgan Wooten is the standard bearer. Um, he coached for over 40 years and won games, and he's in the Hall of Fame, the only high school coach in the Hall of Fame. And um, his funeral was two months ago, and 300 men stood up when they asked who became a coach because of Morgan Wooten. And, um, and that's the legacy of this town. That John, that's the story John wanted to tell. Uh, about how how kindness and caring and dedication has changed so many people's lives. Absolutely. He sounds like an amazing man. I know he was to you. Um, and through all of that, um, can, please kind of explain like the complexities along the journey and how you was able to move through those grief stages um, to process, um, share, you know, your also your emotional support team that did also do that for you. Well, one thing I learned about grief is it's not linear. Um, in fact, I'm reading a book now called Love Warrior, which says it's like you're on a spiral staircase, right? So your grief is always in front of you and always behind you. 
but you're still moving with it. Um, and I thought that was the perfect visual. Um, you, you can't escape it. You just have to um, tend it and take care of it and acknowledge it. And that's one of the things I just thought was so important about Moms Demand Action. They, they contacted me within 48 hours and asked, what do you want? And, and I didn't know. Um, they did, though. They told me some of the things I would probably want. Um, but over time, I told them, okay, now I know what I want. I want to do something. Yeah. And just use me because I, I need to replace all the other people in the future who are going to be in, in this spot if I don't do anything. I want to stand where they would be standing and make sure they don't have to be in, on this spiral staircase with us. Thank you so much for um, being brave just to even come up, you know, come to share your story and, and then finally realizing your place and to be able to um, support other individuals that have had, um, you know, likeness to the type of um, death that your, your husband died by and, and just your process because hearing from, and I truly believe this, hearing from the survivors um, and how you were processing and how you're able to share your story is so effective. And that's why we have this show so that you can be the voice for others to come forward and do, you know, exactly what you're doing. So thank you for sharing um, your work um, after reading over your bio and, and have seen what you've done in the community. It speaks for itself. So please share the advocacy side and your commitment um, to the life that you're living now. Well, um, once I told Moms to be in action I wanted to help, they asked me to testify for the bill. I, I think one of the w ways my voice can be added to the to the demands is, I mean, people, whenever there's a tragedy, I mean, even the coronavirus now, people will come up with reasons why it won't happen to them. I think that's the human condition, right? We, we say... Um, you know, I don't know anyone who's this happens to. This can't happen to me. I'm following the right rules. I'm doing the right things. And that didn't matter yeah. to me or anybody in a mass shooting. It, it doesn't matter. And, and it doesn't matter, you know, whether you're a domestic violence victim or, or a mom in, in the city that, that, is caught in this terrible scourge of gun violence. People can come up with stories about why it won't happen to them. And I'm one face of it to say, uh, your story isn't, uh, <laughs> won't protect you. Your, your story won't protect you. Absolutely. And and I think I, I need to do that for everybody, no matter what their story is. We're, there's not one story where somebody did everything right and somebody did everything wrong. Uh, we're just all caught in this scourge and and we have the power to stop it and that's what can be even more frustrating and make makes you feel helpless to think we could stop it if we just had the political will but we are the political will yeah. so so we have to make sure we are the political will absolutely um, you shared also too with me that um, you work with the Food and Drug Administration um, in our 
So what is your advice in, in our current um, COVID area, COVID-19 era? Um, that are, what are some of the challenges in that field um, that you can share with us? Well, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I can work remotely. I have enough, you know, I, I have enough computers to work remotely. I have colleagues who can work remotely and help me. Um, my paycheck's not in jeopardy. Um, so I'm trying to recognize my luck and figure out how I can share it with other people. Um, but um, I, I guess one of the, the trickiest parts of this particular pandemic is that I can self-isolate and my family can self-isolate. And even then I might be able to see my family, but the more you, the more you um, enlarge your circle of people that you're with, mm -hmm. um, whether it's at the grocery store or, or visiting someone you already know and love, um, all you need is one person in those circles who is not uh, washing their hands or wearing a mask or, or that are, that's going out carelessly or even just necessarily, maybe they're a healthcare worker. The, the more people in your circle who can't follow each rule uh, exponentially makes it more dangerous for you. So if, if you don't want coronavirus, if you don't want to give it to your grandmother or your doctor, um, then, uh, then you need to just stick it out for as long as you can. Yeah. And, and we need to support financially the people who can't afford to do that. We're approving products and maybe not for unlimited sale and distribution, but we're making products available, um, to as many people as we can. So, um, we made a test that was supposed to be limited to helping hospitals figure out how to triage people. It wasn't supposed to be the final word on whether you had COVID-19 or not. It was just supposed to help people decide who could come into the emergency room safely. And, uh, and uh, so there are tests that we've made available. There's a new saliva test now. Uh, um, perhaps that's what they've been using my my guess is that's what they've been using in the white house the whole time because the yeah. the nasal swab the brain swab is pretty uncomfortable sure. um, uh, but um the more testing we have the more contact tracing we can do and the, the more you'll know whether you can expand your circle of people you expose yourself to if everyone can get tested and then that means the more we can go out mm -hmm. um and and hopefully you know the vaccine is going to take probably another year yeah uh, unfortunately so this may be a really long period where we have to be careful mm -hmm. but um, something as simple as checking for a fever um, can really help reduce the spread of this i'm sort of hoping that checking for a fever be, like say before you enter an airplane or before you go on a cruise is something that they start doing even after this is over. Mm -hmm. I, I hope we learn to to screen and care. And I think we're going to be the generation that washes our hands the best ever. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. So 20 years from now, kids are going to be saying, that old lady, she won't stop washing her hands. And we're going to be going, yes, we won't. Uh, so okay, I, but we're in some ways, care. that's going to change us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, because of the extent of your work life and advocacy work, tell us how important self-care um, is to succeed in both of those. Well, um, 
other than washing your hands. And, and I know some people are going to say, is that all you got? <laughs> Wash your hands. And yes, that's all you that's need. That's important. Yeah. That's all you need. It's all I got. It's all you need. Um, and the same thing with self-care. Um, it's, uh, I, I guess, the first day after that, after the police came to my door, they didn't come to my door till 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. So I think I just slept all the next day and cried and slept and cried. Um, and uh, the next day, my sister says, you're coming with me to my yoga class. Mm -hmm. And I had been in a work situation that was making me unhappy and I was exercising every day just to stay sane. And I can just say, thank goodness I was already pretty fit when this happened. Because uh, if I had been where I had been like five or ten years before with no exercise, I I don't think I would have made it through, frankly. Um, so get fit now. <laughs> um, but my sister took me to yoga, and I after the class, I just said, "This is going to save my life. I'm gonna I can't stop going." So um, I have it on my calendar. If someone tells me they have a lunch meeting that I have to go to, I tell them, sorry, I have a conflict. Yeah. I have a meeting with my boss and I don't say, you know, it's the boss of me. But right, <laughs> absolutely. But you have to treat it like it's urgent. I mean, people treat it like it's important, mm -hmm. but you don't do important things every day. You do urgent things every absolutely. day. So you have to treat it like it's urgent because one day when you can't exercise, there'll be an urgency and you'll need to draw on, on that strength and fitness and clarity of mind that you've prepared yourself for so so for me exercise especially yoga has been really important it also used to be getting my nails done but <laughs> it's not happening right now um, yeah. um so uh sleep and and exercise and um there's a, a group of young men in Maryland uh, that started a business called Hungry Harvest where they take food that's been rejected by the grocery stores and they sell it to you for a song. It's cheap. And then, then they, for every box I buy, they give a box to Baltimore City uh, schools so their parents can pick up a box when they pick up their kids from school. And, um, and they're rejected because the apples are too small to go through the little apple judging thing that stores make you use them okay. um, so there's nothing really wrong with the quality of the fruit it's just not pretty enough mm -hmm. um, but it's the freshest fruit and vegetables I've ever had so hungry harvest I want to give a shout out to them um, and uh, and my yoga teachers <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that information and just even uh, mentioning um, um, Hungry Harvest and to us and, and, and to, our, uh, to my listening audience because, um, and you said that's in the Maryland area, right? Yeah, um, they, they specialize in and around Baltimore, but um, they also do the D.C. metro area and they've moved up and down the East Coast now. They're in Philly and a few other major markets. Um, they got some Shark Tank money and Right. ran with it and um, I think when you Google Hungry Harvest a competitor who's paid more pops up so don't don't click on the first one click on the Hungry Harvest one okay absolutely thank you so much for that um, for just giving us some uh, resources and um, letting us know about the programs that uh, 
they never know that there was rejection of food, you know, through um, the grocery store. Um, but it's good. It's still good because I was definitely going to ask, like, why are they? Why is it rejected? But thank you so much for clearing that up. Um, that was awesome. Um, so how can the community support you? Um, I know briefly in your bio, you said stated some things. Can you mention those things for us? Um, how we can support you? Well, um, that's a good question. I feel like I've gotten more than my share of support at this point. Um, it's the two year mark. It's kind of, it's going to be hard. Um, I'd love for people to read the stories that John told in his book about these remarkable coaches and players. Um, I think Kevin Durant is going to do a documentary about the same subject and I'm hoping he'll use the, I heard he needs pictures. So I have pictures. I have 178 pictures in this book. I told him to, you can use them. Um, but the stories are just heartwarming. Um, and, uh, I don't know, just vote, just vote. I, you know, this year they're going to make it really hard for us to vote. They're, they're going to expect us to expose ourselves to the coronavirus if we vote in person. They're going to lose ballots if we vote by mail. They're going to demand IDs from people. Um, that They're going to make it hard. And we just have to remember how hard people fought for us to vote and how it's our, it's our voice. And um, if everybody voted, we wouldn't be in this mess. And they know it. That's why they make it hard for us to vote. I just think of the people who marched and died so they could cast a ballot and I owe it to them to cast mine and and we all do if and we all just have to get over the the hurdles and fuss and sound and fury and just tell them to take our ballot and count it. Absolutely. And you had shared that there is a um, scholarship in John's name. Can you talk about that? Oh, thanks. I mentioned that John really wanted to be remembered as a sports writer. So um, with the help of one of his friends, Doug Donatelli, from, uh, he's got a business management company. He put the seed money in for the John McNamara Memorial Sports Writer Scholarship at the University of Maryland. And um, uh, we've been able to get it endowed. Uh, We've, we've given the first scholarship to a really worthy writer. Um, the students have been willing to listen to what I liked about John's writing and said, you have to write for everybody. Don't just write for the guy who's showing up, you know, to put money down in Vegas on a game who thinks he knows everything. Write it for other people too. Write it for the kid who's going to their first game and, and the mom who's trying to understand why her son loves a sport or nowadays thank goodness why her daughter loves the sport and um uh, so that scholarship has has started and um and i hope more people can find out about it and donate to that worthy cause absolutely are there requirements for the scholarship what what does one do to even um, be able to get it um, they just have to be a student at the university of maryland they can even be a freshman coming in who's got it because freshmen now come in with video blogs and and all kinds of um, material to show their commitment to writing and journalism and sports mm -hmm. and um, 
So we, we tried to make it easy. So any student who's declared a journalism major is eligible. Okay, thank you so much for sharing that. What's next for your journey? Well, I have to unpack some boxes tonight so I can find my way through the, to the bedroom uh, and go to sleep. Um, so I'll be uh, unpacking and moving. Um, I was accepted to the Emerge Maryland program, which trains women to run for office in Maryland. And, and there's other Emerge groups all over the country. And um, right now there's a Senator in the area where I'm moving to who voted against background checks for shotguns and rifles. Um, it passed, but the governor, our, our governor in Maryland vetoed that bill. And we suspect that we're going to be one Senate vote short of an override. So I'm watching this senator and I'm going to uh, learn how to fundraise and, and perhaps uh, I retire next year just in time for a new term to begin and maybe I'll be a full-time politician. <laughs> All right. Congratulations. I definitely we will be sending you some distant Reiki love. Um, just for that whole entire process for you. Um, you have the heart and, and you're very compassionate about this. Just hearing just what you just said. So I, I'm, I'm praying that for you and, and all the success for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, I know a lot of your listeners are, are grounded and spiritual. And, and sometimes it occurs to me that, you know, we have the power to have something pretty close to heaven right here on earth. We have enough food for everybody. We have enough water. We have enough ocean and mountains. And we have enough love and kindness for everybody right here. And we have to stop the people who want to take that away from us. Well said. I have chill bumps. <laughs> well said. Well said. Thank you. Well said. Well said. Um, share your personal quote um, with my Grief Nation listeners and why you chose that. Well, the last two movies that John and I saw together were a documentary on Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is awesome, and uh, on Fred Rogers, who started Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And he was always, something I didn't realize, he was always unsure of whether he was good enough to be on TV whether he was making an impact on the world. And that just floored me that somebody with the power of kindness of Mr. Rogers would doubt himself. Um, and after 9-11, one of the quotes that was really popular from him was um, when people wanted to explain how there could be so much evil in the world, he just said, look, look at the people who are responding with kindness. Um, and there are many more of them. And, and I often, you know, a lot of people have talked about John and my marriage and made it sound like nobody had as good a marriage as we did. And, and yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> but, but, um, but, you know, we weren't perfect. We weren't kind every minute of every day. But John was kind every day. And um, so Mr. Rogers said, uh, and gosh, I'm now I can't remember his exact words, but he said, look at the kindness that people are expressing. And 
And that's, that's Moms to Me in Action, man. Those people came out of the woodwork for me. Um, if it weren't for people like them, I, I'd be convinced the world was full of you know, mean mass murderers, but it's not. It's not. There's more of us than of them, and we're going to show them. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, you're so powerful. Uh, and say that to yourself every day. Look at the, look in the mirror and just just say that to yourself every day because really you are. Your word speaks volumes. And I, I can hear the kindness and the softness. And that's what we need. Um, that's what we need. Uh, I hear that in your voice. Um, and I know, I, I'm just, I, I'm hopeful that um, your journey with um, where you were just accepted, uh, I'm wishing you much l love and light and, and that everything is um, very prosperous for you in that lane. Um, so how can um, we reach you? What are your social media platforms? Um, well, thanks. I'm, I'm on Instagram um, as A.E. Shambly. And I'm on Twitter as Andrea Shambly. So, so the gun nuts have found me. <laughs> oh. But um, but so will you, right? You'll find me too. So um, Andrea Shambly on Twitter is where I'm more active. Okay. Okay. Great. Well, leave us with your favorite memory um, of, of John. So the the quote was, "Look for the helpers." So that so that's how. Sorry, I I was stumped. No, there are so many words for it. So I know you guys are all the helpers and looking, looking for you and watching you is, um, so empowering and, and everyone should join you. Thank you. Miami, that means I love you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And your last, uh, thoughtful memory of John, how, how do you remember him? I think it's, I think it's the fact that he did something kind every day, every day to me, every day to his family of origin. Um, his little sister was volunteering and was in a car accident and she was in rehab for a year. And she lived with us and um, every day he, he performed an act of kindness. So powerful. Thank you so much. And before I let you go, I always ask this question. Um, what has your attention being a leader in your community um, that you would like to see change or bring further awareness to? What would I like to see changed? Um, I think a lot of the world's problems would be reduced if we let everybody vote, everybody participate, you know, with their strengths and gifts. And you know, every, every time I read a story about somebody who, whose life was cut short or who was thrown in jail or who was caged at the border, I think, do you know what that person could have contributed mm. if we let their voice be heard, if we listen to their song? Um, and one way to do that is vote. And one way to do that is to lift each other up. And um, and I hope we can do that even more every time, every year. We need to do better at that. Wow. 
Andrea, thank you so much for your vulnerability, for coming on to the show, for sharing your story. Um, I wish you many blessings on your journey and your, on your continued journey. And once again, just thank you for being on the Miami Night Show um, Group Talk. Thank you. Thank you. I'll see you on the spiral staircase. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, there you have it, Grief Nation listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another transformative segment on It's the Miami Night Show Grief Talk. Today, we give thanks filled with love and gratitude for our special guest, Andrea Shambly, for expressing your very unique grief journey and sharing ways of understanding the healing process. This is your girl, Miami Night, with much love and light until we connect again spiritually. Bye-bye.